Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome back to the Paddle and Fin Podcast Network. We're brought to you by Pelican Built Tough. For all situations, go to pelican.com. Yak Gadget. For all your fine kayak fishing accessory needs, go to yakgadget.com. Eastport Marina on the beautiful shores of Dale Hollow Lake. For all your lodging, kayaking, and fishing needs, go to eastport.info. Now let's get this show started. Welcome back to another episode of Bass Fishing for Noobs here on the Panel and Fin Podcast. I am your host, Sean Lavery, and I'd like to welcome everybody back uh, to the show this evening. Uh, one other, one quick thing to uh, run over before we uh, bring in tonight's guest. Uh, the noobs, uh, noobs tournaments are back up and running. The, the May tournament will be uh, has about another week left before uh, that finishes out. So if you want to get involved with that, the June tournament is up on Tourney X, and you can go out there and sign up. Um, but uh, I just wanted to wish the guys that are fishing with me in the May tournament, uh, good luck. Uh, we definitely have uh, a lot of fish being caught. If you haven't caught a fish yet and you're out there um, still working at that, keep at it. Uh, you still have uh, time left to get out on the water and um, put some fish on the board. So um, I'm sitting uh, right now kind of in the middle of the pack uh, at in fifth place with 64 inches, but there's definitely people above me and, and some people below me. But like I said, if you're uh, interested in getting uh, in on that action, um, you can sign up for the June event, which is already out there. If you just go to tourneyx.com and search for Paddle and Fin, you will find it. And uh, the more the merrier. So, you know, uh, sign up if you're if you're interested in just learning how to do tournaments. It's totally low pressure and um, we'll, we'll help you along the way. So all that being said, I'd like to um, take the moment and welcome tonight's guest, Mr. Drew Hare. Uh, hey, or how do you say your last name? I should have hey, asked you. Yeah, that. No, that's fine. You you were exactly right. Okay, good. I always forget to ask that when I first <laughs> talk to my guests. And uh, and then I remember it halfway, I panic about halfway through, like, uh-oh, I, I forgot to ask that again. 
But um, for the folks who don't know you, um, including myself, why don't you give them a little bit of an idea of who you are, where you're from, and kind of how you got into fishing and kayak fishing? Sure. So, um, so although now I'm a New England resident, uh, I w live out in, in the, the foothills of the Berkshires in western Massachusetts, which is kind of middle of nowhere. Um, <laughs> but uh, I grew up in central Pennsylvania. Um, I grew up next to a little trout stream and, and pretty much spent most of my childhood you know, wading that and exploring and fishing and uh, close to, Penn, uh, I'm sorry, the Susquehanna River and a number of its tributaries. And, uh, you know, we were there, my, my friends and my father and I were there pretty much as often as we could get get uh, get away to either wade or, uh, you know, use a canoe or pretty much whatever we could find, honestly. Um, and I've been fortunate enough to, to either work or, or uh, be in school kind of all over the country. Um, was in the South for a long time in the Carolinas. Um, so, you know, I, I've been fortunate to, to pick up, a you know, a little bit of, a little bit of local knowledge from, from all over the place. Um, but I'm sure there are quite different fishery, fisheries in that case. You know, I, I mean, North Carolina to, to New England is quite a difference, I'm sure. Yeah. The first, I remember my first wake up call to a lake called Jordan Lake in, in uh, North Carolina. That's like very little shoreline um, cover, like not a lot of wood, pretty much no, very little grass, not no grass. Um, you know, it's fishing a lot of just rock and, and points and structure. Um, and I realized like there's, there's so many places, especially in the South and in uh, the Midwest to some extent, I think where, where um, if you can't fish structure, it's going to be a struggle. Um, and so it was, it's been eye opening, and, and it's kind of been like relearning a lot of techniques Honestly, when I was younger, when I came back to New England, and it's a lot of uh, smaller impoundment, you know, smaller lakes, a lot of grass, uh, a lot of pads, um, but it's been fun. So, cool, cool. And um, uh, what kind of brought, got you into kayak fishing, and how long have you been doing that? Sure. So, I think I, I, I mean, I like I said, I've been fishing out of canoes since uh, I was a kid, pretty much. I think I officially bought my first kayak. In 2008, I was in grad school. I didn't have a lot of money. Um, you know, I happened to find a kayak on Craigslist. I was like, hey, this will work. Uh, messaged the guy, got it. It was definitely not a fishing kayak, but it did the job. Um, you know, and then I kind of went through the process a lot of people do, right? You learn what you like and don't like, slowly upgrade over time. Right. Um, so, uh, yeah, I guess that's what, four, 14 years or so in the, in the seat of a kayak. Um, and it's, it's a much comfier seat nowadays than it was <laughs> then. I'll say that. Oh, I imagine, you know, back then they're probably, it was probably like a rotomotor seat into the kayak, right? Or for the most part. Oh, it yeah. depends on the version, but the one, the one I had was literally just like the most bare bones plastic, like dig into your back end, but at the same oh. time, seat. it was pretty brutal, but wow. Yeah. But it didn't uh, shy you away from the sport, so that's cool. It it just got you got you started. So yeah, exactly. I could handle. And, I think I could, my body could handle it better in my in my early twenties than it could now. So I hear you. I hear you. My forty five year old body definitely uh, needs a little more cushioning than uh, <laughs> yeah I would have back then. So um, and uh, I know uh, you're on uh, uh, the wilderness. Uh, systems uh team and i was curious how 
how that came about and um, you know, what, what you're paddling right now and you know, you know, what, what you think of that. Sure. So um, came about from actually I was with another team for a while. Um, was kind of looking for a transition and, and uh, uh, Troy mayor, mayor Hofer, I might've actually butchered his last name. Um, <laughs> reached out to me and he's like, Hey, you know, uh, I, I see you're in new England. Let's touch base, you know, see if this is something you're interested in. I'm trying to kind of build a new England team for Wildy. Um, and, and it's been a great relationship with Troy and, and with Wildy really since then. So I think that's been, uh, about seven years now. Um, I'm a paddler at heart, right? Like I, I, I I'll pedal. Um, I don't own like, I don't own motors, no torpedoes, no nothing. Um, I might pedal like once or twice a year. Okay. Um, I just, I don't know. I'll, I, I think I'll always love to paddle. That's where my roots are. Um, so most of my trips are in an attack 120 or 140. Um, I, I just love both those boats. They, they, for New England fisheries especially, I think, and, and uh, access is generally pretty easy. Um, they're just so stable. They do such a great job in the wind. Um, you know, they paddle well. Uh, uh, for me, like they just check the boxes I need. So, okay, cool, cool. Um, I actually started my very first kayak was a Wilderness Systems Tarpon 100. Oh, so nice. um, that's about the only experience I have because I went, I jumped from there to a Jackson Kusa, and now I'm in a Hobie Outback. But uh, um, you know, for getting started, that was an ideal kayak for me because it, you know, it didn't break the bank, but uh, it definitely had a lot of. Uh, angler specific stuff and that's what really drew me to it um and uh you know and i just grew from there like you said you kind of learn what you're looking for and you know uh but i, I can't all i can say it, about that is that you know it got me out on the water and made me fall in love with the sport so you know kudos to anything that gets that started so yeah but I, um I, no I, I agree that's the bottom line right it, it's getting out there um you know, and having fun. And uh, actually, there's been a lot of nice upgrades to the, or I'm sorry, to the tarpon uh, over the past couple of years. Admittedly, with COVID, like my, usually I'm paddling a bunch of boats and demos and shows and things, and it's kind of been limited since then um, between COVID and, and just inventory. But uh, right, right. But I, they look, they look really nice. I wish I could say I've been in a tarpon, uh, the new tarpon, but I haven't sadly. So hopefully that changes soon. No, and I'm kind of excited to see what they have coming. You know, I, I can only imagine, you know, where they can go from here because the, their lineup is already pretty sturdy and, uh, you know, well-proven, I think. And uh, I think that, you know, the, the, there's definitely uh, a future for them, you know, depending where they go. So, um, well, I, the reason I, uh, for the folks who don't know you, I also, you also, um, I, I read an article on I think this kayak angler uh, magazine that you had written on post spawn fishing, and um, that was how I found you. So and, and the article that I read said you you write for a couple of different publications, um, and I was curious how how you got into that and and uh, you know what that's like. Sure. Um, so I, I have kind of over the course of my career, I guess I'll call it, uh, written. For a while, I very regularly contributed to Kayak Angler Magazine, you know, a couple articles per issue. Um, Kayak Bass Fishing Magazine, when that existed. Uh, Carolina Sportsman, uh, you know, numerous online uh, options. Like a couple of years ago, I did a series of articles for Abu Garcia. 
Um, of course, you know, a lot of content for wilderness systems. Um, and, and I, you know, when I was kind of coming up in the sport, I, uh, I managed to make some good connections and I got a couple of little like blurbs here and there, kayak angler magazine enough to at least kind of get to know some folks there. And, uh, back in 2000, I think it was 11 or 12, um, I started planning out the Bass Slam. So BSS for a long time ran this thing where it was a uh, catch every species of black bass in the U.S. So there's nine. Um, okay. You know, each meeting like a minimum length requirement. And you could send in your paperwork and photos and stuff. And, and they'd send you, you know, some goodies back. Um, so I was like, you know what? This is cool. I recruited a buddy of mine named Bill Coles, uh, who was honestly mainly and still is mainly a bass boat guy. Um, okay. And uh, I was like, hey, let's, you know, come with me, do this. He's really good with, with uh, video and photos. We're like, you know, it's like, we'll trade off. Let's document this thing. Um, and so, you know, we took like a week, traveled around the southeast, knocked out most of the species, you know, threw in a couple others like as we could, including, uh, you know, going down to Texas to catch the uh, Guadalupe bass. Guadalupe, yep. Um, and so kind of as, that, as I was thinking about that trip, I reached out to Kayak Angler Mag. It's like, hey, would you guys be interested in, in you know, working together to come up with a, an article? We're going to have a lot of content. And I remember it was like three months I didn't hear anything. And then all of a sudden, one day, I got an email from Scott McGregor. Um, it's like one of the heads of Rapid Media who owns who owns Kayak Angler. And it's like, you know, hey, I'm just seeing your idea. We're about to sit down in a meeting. Like, I'll let you know tomorrow. And it was a go. And so, wow. like, Rick, Rick Burnley, who uh, probably a lot of folks at least heard the name or seen his name a lot in Kai Kangler Magazine, uh, reached out and, and we hashed out uh, that article and that kind of started a, a good working relationship for a number of years. Um, so, yeah, that was a lot of fun. That was a, that was a, a great trip, like a great experience the Bass. I was going to say, that sounds like a lot an of awesome door. adventure. Yeah. Yeah. What was the hardest one to, for you guys to catch? Um, probably in part because, so the Bartram's bass, um, is a subspecies of red-eye bass. And actually we, we added that one. I actually don't think that's on the original nine. We added that as like a, just a subspecies that we wanted to catch. Okay. And we didn't give ourselves a lot of time, like a, a pretty limited range in like South Carolina, Georgia. Uh, and the night before that area got hammered by a storm. And uh, it was just really high, really muddy. Um, it was super hot that day, too. It was, like, pushing 100. And I remember we got to the end. We'd caught maybe, like, two or three fish, and we're just dying. <laughs> and we packed up, um, you know, kind of headed down the road. We happened to spot this, like, clear tributary, essentially. We're like, you know what? Let's just jump out and fish this for a minute. And we caught like more there in, in like 30 minutes than we did in the, the entire like four mile float that we'd done earlier. But uh, wow. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Cool. But I'm sure that's, you know, something really cool to cross off your bucket list, catching all the different species of bass. That's, that's pretty sweet. Yeah. I'll, I'll never forget that for sure. It was, uh, I'd recommend if anyone is ever like, is it worth it to pursue it? It 100% is. It's an amazing trip. Um, yeah. And yeah, especially now with the internet, there's probably enough info, like, you know, do it self-guided. Don't worry about guides. Don't worry about any of that. Like, just pack up your stuff, 
road trip it uh like we now admittedly like we got a couple hotels but we bummed we slept on a few floors a few couches to save some save some money um but it was a lot of fun so i was gonna say that that'd just be part of the adventure man part of the story you know i'm sure you hit all sorts of places you know that you know off the beaten path not everybody might frequent or find so when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Cool. Um, well, uh, I think now we have a pretty good idea who you are and your background. So that, thank you for that. Um, I figured we could jump into the the topic at hand. Uh, the reason why I asked you on. Um, now I know uh, for some parts of the country this might be a little bit early, including your neck of the woods, possibly. But um, there's definitely some parts of the country that are probably this might even be past due. Um, but we're going to talk about uh, post spawn fishing or bass fishing tonight, and specifically, you know kind of how to target them and uh, areas, especially in grassy areas uh, where, where you can find them. But uh, to start off, I figured I'd, we, t- we could talk a little bit about why uh, post-spawn bass are so tough to catch um, and, you know, see what your, your thoughts on that were. Yeah. So I think, you know, really it's the, it's the first time, you know, figure as soon as winter ends, right, they're just feeding pretty much nonstop until the spawn then they're going through a period where they're, you know, they're using a lot of energy. They're kind of in that, you know, funk stage, you know, I assume bass have hormones, right? Bass hormones <laughs> racing. They're, they're distracted. They're not eating like they should. Uh, you know, we've all been there in all likelihood. Um, yeah. And, you know, so they get down the spawn and it's kind of like, all right, now we got to get back to this routine, right? Where we've been, we've been doing this. You know this this kind of outlier type of activity for a while now. We got to get back to back to what we do, um, and of course it's warming, and so there's a lot of changes that that happen. Um, and so I think you know bass are looking for somewhere to be lazy, to get their energy stores back up, to eat, find easy food, um, and, and just kind of you know hang out while they're transitioning to those summer patterns. Right, right, and. And um, as we were, as we're talking about this, you know, obviously areas in the South are probably there were there last month, you know, Uh, my neck of the woods is probably just getting in there uh, in, in central PA here. And then uh, your neck of the woods, you probably got about maybe a month yet. uh, Give or take some. Yeah. I'd say maybe even a little less this year. It's been a little, a little warmer. Uh, Quincy, I haven't checked the local water temps and, at least a week or so, but uh, we're at least probably two to three weeks out until at least some fish start entering that phase anyway. Is there a, a water temperature that you typically associate with that? 
like postpone behavior or is it more just the time of year? No, I mean more so because more the only really I I only generally do water temps until the spawn, right? Then once it hits that magic, like that spawning temp, uh, I know there's some argument about that. Right. Uh, I pretty much just don't bother temping and from there on out, right? It's just going to be, all right, spawn, post-spawn, summer pattern, etc. cetera. Um, you know, maybe if you think there's some like springs on a lake, it might be worth temping. Uh, but in most of the, most of the places I fish, um, I don't feel it's worth it. So I'm just temping like to find out like, oh, okay, spawns probably, you know, right. Right. right it, it's, if I was to go out tomorrow, I'd be looking for beds. Um, yeah. But we're probably a touch early still, like where I am kind of up in the hills, but, uh, but we're getting there pretty fast. So, okay. What's your water temperatures up there average, like around this time of year? Um, it really varies a lot. Like we've had a weird, in part because we live in one of the, the higher parts of kind of this area of Massachusetts. So yep. my most local lakes um, are often cooler than even ones like, you know, 20 miles south of here or something. Okay. Um, so I'm guessing right now it's probably low 60s if I had to make a guess. Okay. Uh, like we still had some, like there were a couple nights last week where like three or four nights in a row where the low at, in the evening was around 40. So it's still getting chilly at night up here. <laughs> Our uh, central PA weather, I'm sure you're somewhat familiar with it. You know, we, we had, you know, lows in the mid forties last week, then on Saturday it was 90 and now today it was 67 again. So, you know, it, it definitely can be a, a rocky ride, but I think our temperatures are kind of normalizing right around 60 at this point here. So um, I think, you know, we're definitely, you know, maybe a little uh, kind of just after the spawn, maybe. I mean, you, you could have found them last week. I think probably if you're looking for beds now, I think probably most of them are, might be transitioning off, but it could be, it could be off. And, and also I know like I fished the Susquehanna a lot and I know that smallmouth definitely spawn a little bit differently than, than largemouth do in the lakes around here. So um, either way it is, uh, I think kind of, we're getting to post-spawn much quicker. And then, like I said, you know, this should come into effect for most of the country here in the next month or so at, at, at most. So, um, all right. So yeah, bass, they, they do get, uh, you know, finicky and, but, uh, you know, like you said in your article, there's definitely still ways to catch them. And, and so what are some areas that you kind of look for to, to target them when, when you know that they're kind of done with the spawn and, you know, I guess the, the, the first thing to think about is where the bass go when they're done spawning, you know, wh where do they tend to look, what do they tend to look for? So, Sure. So, you know, I'm, I, you'll hear some differing opinions, right? I, I think there are always going to be shallow fish, um, literally always, but, but especially post-spawn, right? A lot of fish are going to spawn and they're going to stay shallow. Um, and then there's going to be the group of fish that, quicker than that anyway start to you know move deeper looking for those summer summer patterns kind of offshore let's call it um so i think the one kind of unique thing in that context that the post spawn gives you not that not that you can't find this at other times but you can kind of say all right i want to fish to my strengths today so maybe you're a guy who's really good with electronics you're going to go going to move off the bank and look for those deeper fish you know if you're a more intuitive guy um you're probably going to, you know, be up shallow doing what you do right best bank fishing. 
Um, and That's conversely, <laughs> yeah, I mean, me too, right? I think most bass fishermen fall into that category uh, in, in reality, right? Um, and uh, I think the flip side of that is, like, there's a lot of days where I'm like, you know what? I know I can go up and catch him shallow today. I'm going to force myself to go deep, and I might struggle, but I'm going to learn something one way or the <laughs> other, right? Um, because, you know, all it takes is, like, one good day or one bait or one little pattern, and your confidence skyrockets and then it kind of builds from there. Um, so that's the way I kind of think about it. Like, do I want to fish to my strengths? Do I want to str- struggle and learn? <laughs> um, you know, what's, what's my goal? Um, so yeah, like you, I'm, in, I'm inclined to chase those shallow fish um, in part because I think post bond, at least up here is like the window. when I think top water really starts to, to get good. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I can throw top water, I'm going to do it for as long as I can, right? Some days that's, you know, a window in the morning or evening. But, but honestly, I think uh, post-spawn is a great time to just get up and throw it, like, most of the day. Um, and in part because, you know, when those bass move off beds or move out of those bedding areas in general, you see the bluegill move up and the perch move up into those same areas. Um, and so the bass are going to be around, right? They're, they're, it just creates a lot of easy meals. Um, and you know, you can kind of throw those bigger, louder surface baits, um, and, and attract some fish. So I'm, I'm almost always inclined to, to start shallow. Um, but, but, you know, if that's a struggle, then I just kind of think, you know, okay, what, you know, what would a bass do? Right. So if, if there's, uh, like secondary points or, or points, I'll move toward those, or maybe I'll, instead of like, sitting on the shallows or pitching the holes in a mat or something, I'll move out deeper and, and work uh, a weed edge, right? The outside, an outside weed line, um, you know, or I'll go and try to run and, and find uh, a rock, some rock piles or brush piles that are offshore um, or a channel. Like if I can find a channel that kind of leads up to, you know, an area, especially with some vegetation, like that's, that's as good as it can get sometimes. Um, so, I guess it's another good thing about post spawns, right? You, you might find some fish kind of everywhere. So it's a good time to kind of explore um, and, and know that, you know, you might just hit a couple like doing something really random and, and you know, it kind of flips a switch like, oh, wait, you know, I shouldn't overlook these, you know, these fish in these transition areas. So, yeah, right. And then if you, you know, put two or three together in one particular kind of area, you start building a pattern and then you can try to look to replicate that at different places that match that kind of scene, uh, whether it was weed lines or, you know, the, the isolated grass deeper, you know, you know, once you pick a few off in those kind of areas, then you can kind of, then kind of narrow your search there, I guess, a little bit and, um, you know, just look for those spots and repeat that pattern if you can. <clears throat> yeah. And I, and I find too, that a lot of post spawn fish are kind of, um, they'll come in flurries and I don't, I've, I've never actually been able to fully determine, like, is it, are they feeding windows? Um, because sometimes they're spread out, right? Like it might be one here, one there. It's not like a school of fish, um, mm-hmm. but it's an hour where it's like regular bites and then it's slow for three or four hours and then boom, it picks up again. Um, and I've heard people talk about like triggering schools or triggering areas, let's say it, even in post spawn as fish move out. Um, I've never honestly, like at least here in, in New England, kind of 
been able to do that. But I, but I do see like the distinct feeding windows and I kind of try to keep like a, a record of them. And I've never like been able to tie them to anything like not moon pattern, not weather really like just nothing. Um, okay. So I don't know. Someday I'm hoping like mathematically or scientifically, whatever you want to <laughs> call it, I can find something there. But until then, like I just kind of, you know, if the weather's good, you know, tr- it can, it pressure seems good. You know, there's a little breeze, whatever, try to get out there and, and hope I hit one of those windows. Um, so keep that in mind. If you, if you're struggle busing for a while, post bond, like you never know when that window could, could open. Right. Right. Don't give up just because you've had uh, an hour, a rough hour or two, because you never know when you might stumble into that one good hour where you're just going to slam for a little bit. Yeah. Cool, cool. Um, well, I a couple of things you said there. I, I definitely need to get better at, uh, you know, really getting away from my comforts and 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 you know struggling for a little bit. Because uh, anytime I think about fishing deep, I always am just like, ah, it's just not going to work. And I'll, I'll start it, and I'll be like, all right, I'm just going to fish deep all day today. I'm not I'm not going to go shallow. And then I do it for an hour or two, maybe at most. And then I'm like, ask her this. I'm going to the bank. But. Uh, I, I, but I think that's definitely a, a great way to learn. And, and I really need to learn to force myself to do that. Um, you know, now I tend to, you know, once the river gets fishable here, you know, you know, when it gets slow enough and slow enough that I, I feel comfortable paddling it, I'll get out there and I'll, I pretty much stay out there. Cause I, I'd much rather fish the river than, than lakes. Um, and of course, Susquehanna there, especially down by me, you know, it, it's a mile wide and a foot deep is the saying. And, so there isn't a ton of different uh, depths, and that really plays well to my strength, and I think that's why I, I fish there a lot. Um, but anytime it, you know, you know, we have a really good rain and the, the water level rises up or you know gets too fast to where I, I feel super comfortable being out there, then I'll that's when I'll hit the lakes, and um, you know, it, it's definitely though that's where I, I I definitely struggle to to leave the bank even when I go to the lake lakes because uh, the local lakes by me are. Are, are deep at parts and um, I have a few grassy lakes, but then I also have the two closest to me are, are just rocky. Um, there isn't a lot of uh, grass to them. So um, uh, I, grasses is something though, that I, I first started learning how to fish on the river. And at, at, to be honest, I actually, when I first started fishing the river, I avoided it because I, I was like, ah, I just keep getting snagged in there. I'm constantly cleaning off my, my lures and, um, it wasn't until I started trying different baits and, and then once I, you know, figured out the baits that work in the grass, then I loved it because I, I never realized how much bass really love to hang around the grass. And, um, you know, that was a very productive uh, thing for me to learn. So, and, but it, you talk about that a little bit in your article about, you know, where you start with uh, the baits you start with and then kind of your transition to, to other baits until you find something that works. So, Generally, what what do you start with when you first are targeting these bass around the grass? So, I think usually, right? I, I want to catch them on top. Um, and, and honestly, like as a as a parent of young kids, most of my trips these days start at first light, um, and they go till you know I'll get three or three and a half hours in, so I'm off the water at eight or eight thirty, and I'm home to you know make it to my son's t-ball game. Yeah. Um, so you know, that, that also helps like being, you know, wanting to fish top water, right. That low light window is generally a good thing. Um, so usually I'll start with a frog of some sort. 
Um, maybe a buzz bait, just depending on the conditions. Uh, if I had to pick one, probably general top water, like open water bait to throw, would be a lucky craft gunfish because you can got to walk it, spit it, do a lot, do a lot of different things with it. Um, and then I almost always have a throwback bait. Like I know it's cliche, but the wacky rig Cinco. If you're not throwing as a throwback bait, think about it. <laughs> um, uh, you know, sometimes a fluke, depending on how uh, how my patience level is that day. Um, just no, I, I'm not great at like just patiently working it and letting it sink. Um, you know, if but if the fish are aggressive enough and I know I can work it pretty fast, then uh, then I'll I might be apt to throw that. Um, the reason yeah. I really jumped to the fluke was because it was grass proof you know basically yeah. that 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 was one of the first baits that i learned in my, my local tackle shop i had gone in there and i was like what the heck do i throw that isn't going to just every time i pull back is going to be something i have to clean off and and then he's like oh throw the throw the fluke on it you know on a this worm hook and i i was like okay you know and i was he told me how to work it and, I, and you're right it does take patience at times because you kind of got to let it go down in that grass and then pop it up through and but like I said, that some of the best strikes I've gotten have been on that uh, fluke, and it it is so easy to fish through the grass. Hardly ever gets, you know, fouled up or you know. And even when you when it does a little bit, you just pop up, and sometimes that's when you know you really get the best hits too, is yeah. when you're yanking it out of the grass. So, yeah, and especially if it's shallow, uh, and I don't want to fish with like fish it on a weighted hook. Um, I found that Berkeley makes a saltwater, they call, I think they call it the saltwater shad, and it's a little heavier than a traditional fluke, but the same size. And so I've noted I can work it faster without it just coming like right up to the surface and, and acting funny. Um, so now actually I'll, I'll defer to that one more often than not instead of the, the traditional fluke. Although I know like, you know, we as fishermen are guilty of calling everything that looks <laughs> anything like a fluke a fluke whether right you know, no matter regardless of who it's made by so uh yeah, but yeah. zoom is probably like come on <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> um no i there is a and i can't think of who makes it right now but i throw a uh a, a fluke that has a, a weight inside of it um on that worm hook uh just so it it does sink a little faster uh doesn't try my patience as much but i also fish a weighted wacky worm most of the time when i'm doing wacky rigging as well so just because it sinks just a little bit faster and doesn't try my patience quite as much so um yeah so that so you know i'll start i'll start so i mainly i'm going to start power fishing right unless except for that throwback bait i'm going to power fish and there's some other baits i'll mix in like a i like to throw a bomber speed chad an old flat-sided crankbait um that's just kind of made to cut through grass or or it's got a unique kind of wobble for open water um I will, you know, I'll throw a jig some, um, and then as the day goes on, I'm generally, if I'm not getting bites, I'm going to slow down. Um, and then I'll, I'll go to kind of go to my most confident bait. So maybe that's like a Texas rig, uh, either a creature bait or uh, like a cocktail worm. Um, I'll throw a jig. Uh, I might drop, you know, drop shot. Um, yeah, I, I'm always kind of torn between one of my most confident in and what I think will work best right because like drop shot for instance you know I'll, I'll fish it i can catch some fish with it it's not my favorite technique but sometimes i just know like the fisher um like we have a lot of dollar pads up here i call them so like they're the size of a silver dollar they don't cast a lot of shade they don't have big root wads they just have these like 
you know, four or five foot long, sometimes strands that come up from the bottom. So they're kind of annoying to fish, honestly. And there are areas though, like when you see them kind of run up against different types of vegetation, I know I can just toss a, you know, a drop shed in the middle and just shake it around under there. And eventually something's going to come eat it. Um, but it's not my favorite way to fish. So if I can avoid it, I generally do. But if you have to target that area, at least you have something, you know, that kind of works well and isn't super frustrating to try and work through that area. So, yeah, I could see that being a kind of a unique challenge because, uh, you know, it's almost too sparse for a frog, but, you know, not quite thick enough for or uh, not like punching mats or anything. Yeah, so. yeah, it is. I mean, rarely, almost never do you get frog bites or top water bites at all, honestly, out there. Like you, you really have to slow it down and, and kind of hope you're like disturbing things underneath enough. So you're, you know, you're grabbing attention. Um, at least pulling and, some fish from a little bit of distance anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And, and really like focusing on, you know, there's, there can be dollar pads everywhere. So you really have to focus like, okay, they're only in these really isolated spots or, Oh, they're only where the dollar pads are pushing up against, uh, you know, some other type of vegetation forming kind of a transition there. Um, otherwise, you just spend hours kind of haplessly casting out in the middle of these sea of, of dollar pads or even different types of vegetation, right? That can happen. Like looking for those, those outlier pieces um, can generally, I think that's a much easier way to put together a pattern than it is just pulling up to a weed field and, and you know, chucking, chucking ducks, so to speak. Right, right. And fan casting your way around. Yeah. Um, and th and I'm sure that can, I'm not sure what kind of other structure you have. I know, you know, out uh, here in PA, some of the lakes we have will have uh, lay downs and stuff that kind of, you know, fall down and maybe somehow work their way out into the middle of that. And so if you can find either a rock or, you know, a lay down that's kind of in the middle of that, that's generally also seems like a good place to start anything that's slightly different than everything else around it. Yep. All right. Um, and then um, as uh, as it progresses, as the day progresses and uh, uh, you don't have if you're struggling with uh, your Texas rigs and that kind of stuff, uh, where do you progress from there? So I'm, I'm probably going to go like mostly like as finesse as I have to. Right. If, if I'm going to air somewhere. Actually, I won't say that. I'm going to go I'm going to go to both extremes. I'm going to rig up like every spinning rod on the deck with you know, weightless wacky worm that's already on there, probably a Ned rig. Um, although I'd, I'd almost, you know, around grass, I'd rather Texas rig like a four inch worm versus throwing on a Ned, but you know, same kind of concept, um, you know, the drop shot or, or maybe some other, you know, sort of uh, smaller plastic, maybe even a Carolina rig, like small plastic. Um, okay. And then the flip side is I'm going to throw, I'm going to put on like a bigger jig, so it's falling faster, maybe triggering a strike, getting better bottom contact as I work it. So maybe that'll, you know, produce something. Uh, I might go from like a six or seven inch cuttail worm. I guess seven inches is what I usually throw to a 10 inch worm. Just okay. hoping that like that big profile is going to do something because nothing else has. Um, and there are days, because I found right there are days when fish see that big offering and they can't lay off it where, you know, at this point, like probably every fish in New England seen 7 million Cinco's rigged every single way. <laughs> um, but they don't see that many 10 inch worms. So can I do something to make it stand out? Um, 
we did we kind of we didn't invent it i forget i saw it on actually like some fishing show i think um my buddy bill i mentioned earlier for the bass lamp calls it the sparkler rig so it's just taking a a little willow tail uh spinner blade on a corkscrew and screwed it into to the end of a uh plastic like a plastic worm or a young dinger okay. or something and just giving okay. that little bit of flash on the tail as it falls like there are days especially post spawn when bass are laying up you know, shallow looking for those perch and bluegill falling by that, that, that just seems to do really well. Um, so, you know, m- my, my tendencies are always going to be a little finesse cause th- those are my strengths, I think. Um, but I'll break out some bigger baits. I'll break out that stuff that I think the bass just don't see a ton. Um, the other bait that has done well for me. Um, and I've kind of, I started throwing a, a mega bass dark sleeper. So like the small, kind yep. of jig swim bait type you know type lure that, that maintains a lot of bottom contact um i know berkeley has the agent e now same kind of concept um and really if you don't want to splurge on those because they're a little pricier than some like i i've just uh you can you can get a tokyo rig or make your own tokyo rigs um so like a swim bait hook with a kind of weight out front if you google it it's probably gonna be way better than my poor description um <laughs> but you can use you know whatever swim the swim bait you want on it and it's just kind of going to thump along the bottom uh, as you reel it in or work it in. Um, I found that those can be good, um, especially, like I said, like fishing these big kind of non-discreet uh, fields of vegetation where like with the dollar pad, there's plenty of room to swim underneath. Like, yeah, you're going to have to rip them out of some 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 of the stems. But, um, you know, you can cover some ground kind of slowly and just give a kind of unique action to it. Um Plus you have some weight to keep it down as you, as you're kind of ripping through everything. So, um, but that, but that, that, that swim bait technique has been one of my favorites where you have like creek channels in vegetation or even along outside weed edges where you can just kind of slowly yo-yo it almost or, or plink it along the bottom, uh, back to the kayak. Okay. I was going to, I was going to ask about retrieves a little bit, but I, I, you kind of covered that there. Um, you're mostly working, uh, bottom hopping, kind of, uh, working your way back to you. So, I mean, that sounds ideal to me because I don't like to, where you just have to let it sit there for, you know, forever in a day. I, I, I almost want to constantly, be, constantly be moving. Uh, I do have to remind myself to slow down a lot. Um, cause, uh, the, and it seems like the, the more I'm struggling, the faster I go. And I, it, uh, sometimes, you know, that's the worst thing you can do really. Um, and, uh, I forget which guest we had on that said, you know, if you think you're working the bait too slow, move it slower. And, um, you know, that's definitely one of the hardest lessons for, for that, that I had to learn was, uh, to really catch myself and, you know, Oh, hold on, man. You're, you're bringing it back way too fast. You know, you know, let it, let it soak a little bit, not, you know, so much that it's, you know, absolutely boring and you, you know, more like winter fishing where you're, you know, you move it once every minute or two minutes. But, uh, but it definitely, uh, you know, I think retrieve plays a lot into that. And, but anything that I can do that is at least keeping almost like a constant motion of bringing it back to you, definitely kind of falls into my wheelhouse a little bit more than anything that you're necessarily letting soak or uh, like a, a weightless or wacky rig where you got to wait forever for it to, get down to where you want it so yeah i i uh a, a couple of years ago i saw a little kind of uh, info thing from greg hackney who 
you know, the, the Bassmaster Elite Series slash Major League Fishing Pro. Um, and he was talking about jigs and, and like how he chooses jig weight based on how fast he wants to fish and like what his bottom contact needs to be. And, you know, whether fish are eating right down on the bottom or whether they're kind of suspended and doing something. And I think if, if you get a chance, it's, it's definitely worth watching or listening to because um, I think it applies to a lot of different techniques and, and how we can choose the best weight like in, in a way to like offset our weaknesses just like you said right like oh i'm gonna fish this too fast and then i'm gonna go up a weight so that it kind of makes me slow or or guess you want to go up a weight maybe you want to go down a weight because you're gonna have to force yourself to slow down because if you fish it too fast you're never gonna get it on the bottom right, um, right. whereas if you're throwing something heavy you know you're just gonna pretty much drag the bottom the whole way in so He's like, if I know I need to slow down, a lot of times I'll, I'll downsize the weight of my bait because that forces me to slow down. Um, so there's a lot of there's a lot of really good info in that. Uh, okay. So one 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 of the the videos I recommend from from the elite guys anyway. I'll have to uh, check that out. Maybe I can include that in the show notes here if I if I fucking track it down here. <laughs> right. So cool, man. Um, trying to think of other things. Um, uh, that we would want to cover with that. Um, anything you could think of? Any other tips for, like, uh, say, someone who's just getting into fishing about uh, where they would look, or, or I'm trying to think. Uh, yeah, what would you say would be the best uh, bait to use for someone who might not necessarily be uh, accustomed to some of the more power fishing things? Would you say, like, uh, just a Texas rig worm? I mean, that seems pretty basic to me. Yeah, I mean, I think a Texas rig worm is, I mean, it's tough to beat, right? They're just, or Texas rig anything, right? It could be a creature bait or a worm or a lizard. In fact, here in New England, like, that's when you start to see the newts pop up. Um, and, you know, newt fishing is kind of its old. That's a whole different topic. But, the liz- right, the lizard bite can pick up then. Um, so I, th- I do think Texas rigs are good, one, because the hook's buried, so you're not going to hang up very much. Um, and, and it is pretty straightforward, right? It's cast, kind of work it back, you know, vary your retrieve. Um, one thing I'd say is like, if, if you don't know where to start, like just look like we've kind of mentioned for anything different, um, you know, points, right? Points are pretty easy to recognize. You know, they jut out from the shoreline, um, and, and work your way around the point, right? Fish it from different angles, um, you know, throw some literally right up on the bank, uh, work some deep, you know, then you might pull your kayak to the bank and throw out and work it back up the point. Um, cause, cause those kind of, I'm going to call them experiments almost in casting, right. Can, can open, open, can provide a lot of information for what the fish are doing. And if you can come up with any sort of pattern, right, then you can go replicate it in other points. Cause points, you know, almost everybody water has multiple points uh, that are pretty easily accessible from a kayak without, you know, too much, uh, too much travel anyway. Um, another thing I'll look for, and, and admittedly we don't have them in many lakes around us, uh, are any sort of uh, steep bank, whether that's a rock block or like in the South, you'll find some clay banks um, that hold a lot of heat, which I, I think even post spawn is important because the water's still warming a lot of places anyway. Um, and more often than not, like there's some spawning, spawning flats, not too far away. Like a lot of times channels will swing right up on those banks. 
Um, you know, they're just good place to kind of slow down and be able to pick apart, um, pick, pick them apart with different techniques anyway. So uh, that's one, you know, one spot to look for. Uh, again, weed lines, they're really visual. They're generally pretty easy to pick out. Um, that was one thing I was going to ask you. Uh, when you're talking about uh, fishing vegetation and stuff, are you mostly finding that with uh, electronics or are you see like you, you see some of it breaking the top of the surface and you just know, okay, there, that seems to be a more grassy area. So I'm almost always a, like admittedly, I don't even take electronics in probably half of my trips. Um, you know, in part, cause I know a lot of the local waters at this point, but right. even on some new ones, right? Like I'm just, you know, if it's early in the morning and I, you know, it's not uncommon for me to like forget a battery or whatever, <laughs> just doesn't happen right? my plan doesn't come together um, i hear you and it's nice because right you can find the vegetation and then from there you know maybe you can't see the weed line but within a few casts usually you can at least roughly find it um and you know and kind of kind of go from there um and i do think and you know another thing to think about is like the type of vegetation you're fishing so you know like uh milfoil or or other those kind of uh strandy but but bulky let's call them um vegetations you know those types will fish different than you know dollar pads which are different than you know bigger lily pads um and and so on right there's the uh, i can't think of the really small stuff what i call it so different there's so many different types of grass right so there's true mats right so a lot of new england we're not fishing like mats like they have in parts other parts of the country where you can really punch it a lot of times you're just punching, you know, into nothing. So instead of mats, I'm looking for holes or gaps in vegetation or any, you know, anything again, different. Um, but, you know, I think it's a good time, although arguably I think any time is a good time. Just turn off your electronics and just go fish off visual, visual cues, right? Uh, like John Cox style, uh, to just go up shallow and, and have fun. Um, you know, I know that contradicts, like, it's also a great time to get your electronics going and go learn something offshore. But, you know, again, like pick, decide what you want to do that day and, and go do it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, if, if, if you get, you get the visual cues, I think take advantage of them. So. No, I, I think that's a great advice. Cause, uh, and, and I've even had times where I've sworn my electronics are actually causing me or fish to like leave the area. I, you know, I don't know how much truth there is so that, you know, that they can pick up on that. The, I, there's subtle noises that they make and, and that fish can pick up on that. And I know like for me, especially when I'm on the river, the river is so shallow that it really is kind of pointless to, to have it. And, you know, luckily the Susquehanna is uh, so, you know, such a visual river to fish because there's eddies everywhere. There's ledges and, you know, islands, plenty of stuff that you can see and know, you know, what you're, it's not just like a wide open, uh, you can't tell what's under there, you know, it, like, you know, that's kind of how I, when I look at the lake now, my local lakes, like you said, I've, I've gotten accustomed to know where, uh, where, you know, how the depths vary and, and, you know, what parts, which coves are, tend to be more grassy and which coves are more wide open and, you know, what banks are steeper and that kind of thing. But, um, so I, I think that's, but bottom line is I think you're right. You know, turn off your electronics, you know, when you can and, and just kind of look, I, I, like you said, you know, where you're saying you can kind of pick up on a, a weed line or a, a, an edge just by casting and, 
and feeling your way through that. Um, I think that for beginning anglers, especially, I think that's a great thing to do because a, you're going to learn the difference between what it feels like to be pulling past a, a piece of grass or a clump of grass and what a bite feels like and what the bot, what a rocky bottom feels like versus a soft bottom. And, you know, that's, those are all the kind of things I think that as beginning anglers, um, you know, those are the kind of lessons and things you need to learn because that you're going to be able to take that and do so many different things with it. You're going to be able to learn to fish transitions and learn um, like what the bites feel like and, and um, it, it really just teaches you all, a lot of skills that you, you're, you're going to need no matter where you fish or what you're fishing for. So, Yeah, yeah, I 100% agree. Um, I don't know. I'm biased too, right? I'm, I'm a river. I'm a river rat at heart. Um, so that's, that probably is something to do with it. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, if I, you know, there are times I accidentally leave something that I need for my electronics at home. But there are also lots of times I purposely leave them at home um and just go fishing so no i hear you for sure so well cool man i that's been a ton of great info and you know i i appreciate you know you're coming on and and sharing that with us um definitely i think you know people of all skill ranges can take you know uh at least something away from what we've talked about tonight so totally appreciate uh all that great info i wanted to give you a chance to uh you know shout out some sponsors and then let folks know where they can find you if they want to learn more about you or if you have whatever content you have out there cool um yeah so the actually there's one last thing i want to mention before i'll get into that so the thing i was thinking of you know we're, we're maybe spoiled is the word for it here in new england we almost always have clear water lakes um right like five at least five feet visibility generally <laughs> more um you know, Carolina and lots of the South, like they don't have that luxury. Um, and one thing I have found is I think fish in clearer water will feed throughout more of the water column during the post-spawn, especially versus fish in dirty water, especially post-spawn are just like, you know what? I don't feel like going and looking for my food. I'm just going to go on the bottom and that's where I'm going to eat. So you know, a lot of the baits I'm talking about, I've already talked about, I might not throw at all if I was fishing dirtier water. Right? Like I might just be cranking like right down on the bottom, uh, throwing a jig, throwing a shaky head. Um, you know, everything would be kind of bottom contact oriented, or maybe a lot of flash. Like I might throw a heavy spinner bait or something. Um, whereas in the, here in the North, you know, I'm talking more anyway about like middle of water column baits, um, or slow fall baits or whatever, um, just because I think those fish feed differently, especially in the post spawn. Okay, I, I definitely think that's a good point. And I, uh, water clarity is definitely makes a huge choice in, in the baits that I choose as well. Um, I was just out fishing the river uh, last night, and there's times where the Susquehanna is super clear, but right now it's chocolate milk just because of rains that we've had. And so um, I actually was throwing a, a black uh, a black crankbait with rattles. You know, I, I don't have many of them, but I, I was digging through my tackle box and looking for them because I, I got a few bites on a rattle trap, um, but the only rattle traps I had were uh, silver kind of flashy. And, you know, I got, like I said, I got a few bites, but as soon as I switched to that black crankbait, uh, I started picking up much many more bites because I feel like the silhouette was working much better in that chocolate milk that I was fishing. So. Um, and, but I think you're right. Uh, so the, definitely keep that in mind, uh, the water clarity you're fishing. I almost, 
I'm almost scared. I, I want to see, you know, five to 10 foot uh, visibility water, but I've heard that it's, it's much tougher because, you know, they can see you coming a mile away. So, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of time. I mean, it's funny because I, I think I spend more time seated versus standing and fishing in those in, when it's clear and, and uh, you know, kind of calm conditions. Cause I know those fish are seeing me and you'll, you'll spook way more fish than you want to. I will say that um, in that clear water, but again, right. You're, you're, you're out there learning uh, the generally the hard way, but uh and then I'm sure it helps you to see the weed lines and stuff too. If you like, uh, I mean, most of the time I'm fishing something that's, you know, one to two foot visibility max. And uh, so on the lakes and stuff, it definitely makes it tough to, to see that. Uh, bed fishing is almost not something I do just because I, I rarely have the water clarity to, to actually be proficient at it. So, um, but yeah, that, I think that's a great point. So. Um, but to go back to your, your original question, so, um, I still kind of regularly write things for the, for the Wildy, uh, learner systems, uh, page. Um, hopefully we as a team have some, some new stuff, uh, launching this year. Fingers crossed. We can, we can kind of get that, this project we got off the ground. Um, also run the website manpoweredfishing.com. Although I think actually I've got to like renew something with GoDaddy at this moment, so it might actually be live right now. Um, but uh, so yeah, probably the the Wildy site's the best place to find me. I'm on social media. Um, I think it's Drew at Manpowered Fishing on Instagram um, or something similar to that. Uh, clearly, I'm really good with social media. Um, well, um, <laughs> we'll uh, I'll find links or I'll get the links from you and put them in the show notes so that if anybody you know, uh, we'll make sure we get you know, have them somewhere quick where people can find them. So cool. Yeah. And, and you know, if there's anyone listening, uh, watching that, that has questions about post-spawn fishing or anything I've talked about, please feel free to reach out. I'd be happy to, um, to answer questions or, or just talk shop, honestly. Um, and, uh, yeah, just get, get, get in touch. Awesome. Awesome. Cool, man. Well, uh, Drew, thanks so much for coming on. Um, and, schooling us with some great post-spawn knowledge uh, gives me some more confidence heading out there uh, kind of give me a place to start and, and you know uh, anytime I can boost my confidence I think that's a win-win so but uh, yeah man uh, so again thanks so much for coming on um, guys thanks for tuning in tonight uh, to tonight's show and uh, if you want to check out uh, Drew's content make sure you uh, Check the show notes. Uh, like I said, I'll make sure uh, we have links to everything. I'll also link a few of the baits that we talked about tonight. Um, so be sure and check that out. And uh, until next time, guys, this has been the Bass Fishing Renew segment on the Paddle and Fin podcast, where we bring you the techniques, the tricks, and the tips to help you rip more lips. Have a good night, guys. Thanks for tuning in to another killer episode here on Paddle and Fin. Be sure to drop a five-star rating, a thumbs up, or smash that subscribe button on any platform you're listening in on. Be sure to check us out on Waypoint TV, waypointtv.com. Make sure you sign up for the Fantasy Kayak Fishing League at paddleandfin.com forward slash fantasy. You could support this show through Patreon, patreon.com forward slash paddleandfin. 
Don't forget to check out the website, paddleandfin.com. Catch us on YouTube. If you got a question, comment, or want to see a future guest on the show, be sure to email us at paddleandfin at gmail.com. Shout out to our show supporters, Yak Gadget. You can check out all the fine kayak accessories at yakgadget.com. Pelican Professional. For all your cases, coolers, and lighting needs, go to pelican.com. Rocktown Adventures, your Midwest premier paddle sports destination. Go to rocktownadventures.com. Eastport Marina, the beautiful destination on Dale Hollow Lake. If you're looking for lodging, kayaks, kayak accessories, or anything fishing related on the beautiful Dale Hollow Lake, go to eastport.info. And Jig Masters Jigs. When in doubt, get the jig out. Go to jigmasters.com and fill your tackle boxes today.